What I'm about to share with you was uh, recorded after the initial recording of part two of the neutralization of the church. And I just want to remind you uh, that there is a slide deck available. Uh, the link is down in the show notes, which could be helpful uh, as you uh, listen to this episode and follow along in the slides. I think it'll be much uh, very beneficial uh, for you to do so. So just go down the show notes and click on the link, open up the slides and continue listening to part two of the neutralization of the church. If you haven't listened to part one, I um, highly recommend you go back and listen to that first. So now is part two of the neutralization of the church. Welcome back to the Worthy C podcast. It is Saturday, June 24th, 2023, and this is part two of the neutralization of the church. And uh, to review what we covered in part one, I mentioned how what I am presenting in these these episodes about the neutralization of the church, it's not exhaustive um, in that the categories may overlap at times, and, and you may see that here in a little bit. Um, and, and the material that I'm, I'm presenting is not meant to condemn anyone. It may make us uncomfortable and make us reflect, for, uh, force us to reflect upon our own lives, and certainly my own, um, certainly my own and my relationship to the, to the world system. Uh, but yeah, my, my hope is that we all examine our lives in light of Scripture uh, to conclude whether we're being an obedient uh, being a servant of our master, and if we are ordering our lives as faithful bondservants of Christ. And then I asked the question, why is the uh, the church not being persecuted, which led me to the conclusion that it's been neutralized by the uh, the world system. Uh, talked about foundational premises about Satan and the world system and how it seeks to uh, to render us ineffective. I went and then continued on by defining neutralize from a military uh, a, a military manual. And then talked about general tactics that are used to neutralize the church, such as temptation, deception, and infiltration. And then I touched on a, a few different uh, topics here about defilement, how the world system seeks for us to defile, as Christians, to defile ourselves, to, to render us um, less useful um, to God. Uh, another uh, tactic of getting us to compromise, compromise the truth with something else. Or you know, don't tell the whole truth. To give tell half truths, or mix a little lie in with with the truth itself, but compromising the truth, and then uh, spiritual adultery, uh, us committing adultery with the world uh, system, and how that that um, is enmity against God. So it, in a way, it 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 is putting us in opposition to what God wants. And, and Satan would love for Christians to be able uh, to be put in a position where we are in friendship with the world. We're committing spiritual adultery with the world system. Then I talked about who does Satan target in the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves. And I reviewed, uh, the final thing I did was I reviewed our protection as Christians, what the, the, the armor God gives us, the promises that God gives us to protect us, who we have inside of us, how that nothing can come between us and the love of Christ, and then how he is with us um, always to the end of the age. Um, and then I finally asked the question, well, with all of this, all these promises from God, how is Satan able to so effectively assault the church? So this is where I'm going to pick up in, uh, in part two, asking how is it accomplished? 
And, and I think several of the things, just some very general ideas here, is to, to make us be comfortable as Christians, be comfortable in the world system, think everything is okay, and that there is no spiritual battle going on, which can cause us to become complacent, relaxed, and then commit adultery with the world system. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18. And this is the parable of the sower. And this is the part that, that's explained. So I don't, I'm not reading for you the, the first part where Jesus tells the parable to everybody. This is going to be the explanation. So he says here, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So I want to focus on two of, of the four um, places where the seed falls. The first one begins in uh, verse 20, which talks about those who receive the word with joy, but have no root in themselves. So they, they, they are not changed. They are not regenerated, but they receive it with joy. However, when they experience tribulation or persecution, because of the word, they fall away. So they were never believers to begin with. They just adopted the, the message, the word of God, the gospel message, and, and added it to their lives, but they were not fundamentally changed by it, born again from above, as, as Christ tells us that we need to be. So what we see, I think, in the church today is we don't, one, one reason we don't see persecution is it allows for these people to fill the churches, to come into the church, and uh, they're really not believers. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So these are unbelievers who think they're Christians, but they really are not, because when persecution or tribulation actually happens, they fall away. They no longer believe. And then the second case I want to look at is the one that begins, uh, that is in verse 22, and that's the, one, the, the seed, the, the word of the kingdom, sown among thorns. And this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it. So this is exactly what I'm talking about, the world system. It's, it's forcing us to be caring more about things of the world, the deceitfulness of riches provided by the world, and it chokes it and it proves unfruitful. Now, I will, I, will, I will confess here that this particular case, I'm not sure whether this person is saved or not. Um, I think for prudence sake, the way we need to look at it is for those of us who are Christians, we need to make sure that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches don't choke it in us where we become unfruitful. I fear that what this is talking about are unbelievers because normally the way the scriptures talk about believers is they will be fruitful. And if you have an unfruitful person, they probably are not a believer to begin with. But again, I'm a little unsure here. 
so I'm not going to come out firmly either way. Those are the two possibilities, right? <laughs> One or the other. Um, but we, this, this is the point that I want to, to bring out here is it's the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke it. And that's part of the neutralization of the church so that we cannot be effective. If you're unfruitful, you're not being effective for the kingdom of God in this world. So that's the parable of the sower. Okay, so some of the categories that I, I, I mentioned at the very beginning of those things of the world that help to neutralize the church, that are used to neutralize the church. Um, the first one I have here is to keep our focus on the things of man, and that would be rather than the things of God. This can result in busyness, uh, and, I, and now I'm not talking business, I'm talking busyness, where we're just constantly doing things, not necessarily for the kingdom of God. And, it, and these things that the world, these things of man, the world wants us to do, all these activities, it detracts from us being able to pursue the things of God. So we need to identify those things in our lives. Also, at least improper prioritization. We prioritize things of the world, the world system, over those of God. Um, I ask that we recall Jesus' rebuke of Peter in Mark chapter 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. If you remember, Peter had just declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, right before he tells him that he should not go to be killed. And what Christ is telling him here is that this is satanic worldly thinking. It is God's plan that he go to the cross. And, and to divert him from that cross is what Satan would, would love for him to do. Um, to not sacrifice himself so that everyone dies in their sin and goes to the eternal um, lake of fire in the end. But also Peter is probably thinking about the things of man and, and the way the Messiah should be, where he would come, instead of dying, he should, he should take over Israel and he should rule and reign now. But that's not God's plan. That is not, a, that is not the, of the things of God. It's of the things of man. And that's what the world system wants us to be focused on, is the things of the world, rather than the things of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-5 through 5 talk about us being a good soldier. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, Paul here tells Timothy. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier, which is Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who enlists us. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So two important things here. We, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, should not be entangled in the things of everyday life, those things of the world. We should be concerned with the things of God. And the second thing, he tells us that we must compete according to the rules. And where do we find those? We find those in his word. As Christians, as sons of God, as bondservants of Christ, we are to follow his rules as we compete, as we run the race that we're in in this life. 
striving for him and his righteousness. Another one, like keeping our focus on the things of the world, is idolatry. Idolatry, the, the world wants us to commit idolatry. This could be many things. I'm sure my, my, my list here is quite, is a little too short. <laughs> I'm sure you can think of many things. Um, it could be the government or a politician as savior. <clears throat> and they, they, they're there to solve our problems. Save us, if you will. And that's, that's not the case. That's idolatry. Thinking of America as a Christian nation. I throw that in here. Uh, maybe it's not properly bucketed. But um, if you look at what's going on in this country, it is far from a Christian nation. It's a nation with Christians in it, but it's not a Christian nation. A big one are the stars that we see, the stars who we revere, who we, I would almost say, worship and follow them, everything that they do, um, listen to every word that comes out of their mouth and be like them, whereas we should be like Christ. And that's in sports, in the music industry, in entertainment. Think about all, you know, all those sorts of areas. That's idolatry. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So here he's defining idolatry as these things, and especially covetousness. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So put to death. We need to put these things to death. We need to mortify these things within us. The next category is seek your best life now. The world wants us to think that we should have our best life now so we seek treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven. And this is where our heart will be. It will be on earth rather than our heart being in heaven and on the things of God. That's what the world system wants us to do. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Paul's... uh, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The world systems offer these riches, and it, it plays right into the the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choking the word and causing Christians to be unfruitful. The next category is seeking self-pleasure and comfort. So rather than denying ourselves, the world system wants us to seek our own comfort, to fulfill ourselves in our lusts, and that hinders our ability to follow our master. You know, the world says, indulge yourself. Don't deny yourself. Christ calls us to deny ourselves. And that's in Mark chapter 8, starting verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, oh boy, don't we see that, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You have to remember, God saved us to bear fruit for his namesake, for his glory, for his righteousness sake, not to be comfortable in this world. The next one I did a podcast on uh, called Thou Shalt Be Entertained. And this is all about entertaining ourselves. This, this is movies, music, video games, the internet. And, and I encourage you, if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that episode. But if you think about what, what's going on here, we're being entertained by sinful acts, sinful behavior, worldly schemes, and worldly wisdom. And, and as we, we fill our minds with these things, it dulls our discernment. It, seems, it makes sin seem less like sin. It normalizes sin. This programming does. It programs us that, to, to normalize sin. We're, when we sit and, and we, we enter, are entertained by these things, we're consciously subjecting ourselves to temptation and the fiery arrows of the devil. We're just sitting there and, and allowing those, those airs to be fired right at us. You know, how much longer is it going to be before our, our defenses fall, before they crumble, before this onslaught? This entertainment it directly targets our sinful nature. Things like envy, lust, pride, hate, vengeance. Another one's unforgiveness. It wants us to be unforgiving. It wants us to seek that vengeance on others. Remember, vengeance is God's alone. But specifically for a Christian, remember, if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. That's very, very important. We need to be quick to forgive others. Entertainment overall I believe results in arrested spiritual development, which can also be called sanctification. It retards our sanctification. It slows it down or maybe even reverses it. It is poison that we're drinking in. Also ask yourself, this entertainment that we are, we are we're sucking in, we're, we're licking up, who creates it? Is it godly men and women who create this content, who create this programming? I need to think again. For almost all of them, they are not godly men and women who are doing it. They are children of the devil who are creating this content. There are a few exceptions, but for the most part, you know, if you look at channel after channel after channel on your cable TV, most of it is being produced by children of the devil. And overall, I consider all this entertainment, all that sort of stuff is the devil's playground. And I encourage you to go to Luke 12, uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48, and also Psalm 101, which I would like to, to share with you. And the, and the overall theme of this psalm is, I will walk with integrity. And I'm going to comment as I go through this. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. When you're watching this entertainment, are you pondering the way that is blameless? Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. This stuff comes right into our house in that black box. When you're watching this stuff, are you walking with integrity of heart within your house? I will not set, verse 3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. What is this stuff? It's worthless. 
I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. This is their work. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. What is this content providing you? It's evil. Not all of it, but a large, large portion of it is evil. And it's perverse. And here, the psalm is saying that stuff should be far from us. Verse 5, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly I will destroy. Let me read that again. I need to change the emphasis on that one. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. Are these people who are ministering to you from that black box, are they, are they walking in the way that is blameless? Verse 7, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. How much deception is coming out of that black box? It's dwelling in your house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. How much lying is coming out of that black box that is before our eyes? Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So are we walking with integrity when we are being entertained? The next one is fear. The world system seeks for us to be in a state of fear, in a perpetual state of fear, and that retards our effectiveness. And it seeks to put us into the state of fear, which can lead us to sin. And, it, and I, I, uh, I recommend to you Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 13, and Numbers chapters uh, 13 and 14, uh, Nehemiah about rebuilding the wall, and Numbers 13 and 14 about the, uh, the bad report that the spies um, brought back from the promised land. John chapter 14, uh, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be trouble, troubled, neither let them be afraid. So our Lord is telling us our hearts not to be troubled or afraid. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he tells us, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So God is telling us not to be anxious, not to be afraid. But the world system with 9-11, the nuclear threat, um, the whole COVID um, the shenanigans, the, the, the terrorism, uh, all that sort of stuff, it wants us to fear. But fear can lead us to do things that we shouldn't do. So it causes us to sin and it can cause us um, so to do things we wouldn't and, and also do things um, not do things we should do. So it's kind of the sins of omission and commission is what I'm trying to say here. Fear can lead us not to be obedient to our Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us not to be fearful, not to be anxious. So the world system wants us to fear. Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We must trust in the Lord. John 12 Verses 42 and 43, love, love the glory that comes from men. Or should I say, we shouldn't love the glory that comes from men. Nevertheless, 
many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And I include in here because there's, there's a fear aspect here because they were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogue if they confessed that Jesus was the Christ. Excuse me, was the Christ. And they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We have to ask ourselves, is that us? Do we love the glory that comes from man, the applause we get from man, rather than or more than the glory that comes from our Father in heaven? Another tactic, another objective that the devil has is to fill the churches with tares. Get unbelievers, fill the pews with unbelievers, fill the pulpits with unbelievers. And in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, it talks about the parable of the tares among the wheat. So this, in this parable, it tells us this is to be expected and God is allowing it, but Satan wants to fill our churches with unbelievers and fill, fill the pulpits, especially with unbelievers, with false teachers. And I'll talk about that next. But it'll, that will certainly help to neutralize the church because these will not be people who are obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will change what the church is because uh, I, I was a member of, of a certain denomination that must have been filled with these sorts of people because it worked its way up to the General Assembly and all of a sudden the General Assembly is, is passing edicts or whatever they call them um, that contradict the Word of God. They place themselves over God and redefine sin. This is this is what happens, and it's all part of, of attempting to neutralize the church. So let, let's, uh, let's read the parable of tares among the wheat. So he, Jesus, presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and so tares among the wheat. So that would be the devil. So his enemy came and so tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of, of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So that talks about the final division of believers and unbelievers, where the unbelievers will be cast into Sheol, and their, their ultimate destiny will be the eternal lake of fire, whereas the believers will be welcome into the kingdom of our Father in heaven. So again, it can be expected that there are tares, there are unbelievers in the church, but to, to effectively neutralize the church, the devil seeks to fill them with unbelievers. And he, and he does that in, uh, in several ways. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition now to the doctrines of demons, false teachers, and the wisdom of man. These help to fill the churches with unbelievers. So what am I talking about here? And I'm sure that I have not covered all of them. Uh, I know one, one gentleman who commented that there could be an infinite number of these things. I know there's a lot. 
So these are the ones that came to my mind, I think, are perhaps most prominent. And you may be able to think of others. But doctrines of demons, false teachers, and wisdom of man uh, being prevalent in the church. So these are people who do not preach the whole counsel of God. And references for that would be Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 through 19. Also Acts chapter 22, verses 26 through 27. Uh, people who add to the word of God. Revelation, again, Revelation chapter 22, 18 and 19. And this can include syncretism where the church starts to adopt the, the, the practices of the false religion around them. So when, when Christianity comes into an area, they adopt holidays, uh, practices, worship, things like that of the false gods of, of that culture that, that the Christianity was introduced into. Uh, another one, another doctrine of demons, works-based salvation or a wrong view of the cross and what Jesus Christ did on the cross on our behalf. Denominationalism. Uh, this divides the body of Christ. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily the best place to put it, but I, I guess in, in my, my own personal opinion, I don't consider denominationalism to be a good thing because it's dividing us in, into factions within, within the body of Christ. Uh, the next one to be science, and I have that in quotes, science that contradicts the Bible. You think of things like evolution, uh, for instance, and I, I generally will call this type of science science fiction uh, or myths. And I, and I um, refer you to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through, f- 3 through 4. I think rationalism and uh, the, uh, the legacy of the West um, has hurt the church and, and uh, the beliefs that came out of rationalism, basically denying the supernatural, the spiritual. And it is retarded our ability to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle um, here and, and to recognize miracles and, and things like that, and God can, can work um, miracles. So yeah, I think rationalism has hurt us. The prosperity gospel, that best life now worldly message that comes out of that, as I mentioned before, that's not what God has in mind for us in this world. Another um, doctrine of demons or false teaching is that there's no teaching of the fear of God. There's no fear of God. Um, no preaching of judgment or eternal damnation. It's been watered down. It's been um, uh, padded. Uh, it, it's been made nice. But we're told to fear God. And we're told to preach judgment eternal damnation so that people understand and repent and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that was the next one. Those who preach the gospel message without repentance. Uh, you could call this perhaps easy salvation. And this is one way that churches are filled with unrepentant sinners. They, they've accepted Christ as the lucky rabbit's foot, their Savior to keep them out of the lake of fire. But they do not accept him as Lord and don't obey his commands. They, they don't submit themselves uh, to Jesus Christ. So it's a gospel message without repentance. You hear that a lot these days. Uh, preaching of a worldly definition of love rather than God's definition of love. And many churches will overemphasize God's love without emphasizing also his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, and his wrath. You also have churches who redefine sin, as I mentioned with the General Assembly. They look at the Bible and they go, oh, well, you know, that's not sin anymore. Really? 
Another problem that comes in churches is the failure to employ church discipline. Also, the minimization or the disregard of the Old Testament, not teaching the Old Testament, saying like we shouldn't pay attention to that anymore. It's far from the truth. Far from the truth. Also, the employment of worldly methods to grow the church. When you do this, you're filling the churches with worldly people. Churches that and believers that rely on the flesh and fleshly means rather than on God and His strength and His means to affect anything, to accomplish anything, growing the church, whatever it may be. And the final one I have here is overemphasis on the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And this, in many cases, is passing off demonic influence as spiritual gifts. So these are doctrines and demons, false teachers, what they preach, and the wisdom of man coming into the church. This is, this is helping to neutralize the church. And I think we've seen those effects. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5 through 5, talk about some departing from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Many things of the list that I, that I just mentioned. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And then Galatians chapter 1 verses 6-9 through says there's no other gospel. You need to reject these false gospel messages, these doctrines of demons. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Very strong language. And you have to realize that we must stay faithful to the gospel message and what the Bible says and what our Lord says. Because there is another system that's the world system that's going to present its own Christ. And it's called the Antichrist in the Bible, the beast perhaps. And Antichrist not only means against, but it means anti means in the place of, in the place of Christ. So the devil's going to present his own Christ. And there are other religions out there, such as New Age and, and, and things of that nature, that are talking about a Christ coming, but it's not Jesus Christ. So you have to know who you're talking about, and you have to be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've also included some things to think about here that I've, I've categorized this as responses to certain teachings. Maybe this isn't the right place for it. I don't know. But these are things that help to neutralize our effectiveness as Christians to accomplish the work of the kingdom. So these are certain, these, I'm, I'm going to list here some teachings, and I'm not commenting whether they're right or wrong necessarily. I'm just saying, you know, these, these teachings here, so I'm not saying they're necessarily um, false teachings or doctrines of demons or anything like that. 
their, their teachings in the church and how people are inappropriately responding to them. So the first one I've listed here is the pre-tribulation rapture, which is believed by a large um, portion of the evangelical church. And this is where the church is going to be raptured before um, the, seven, the seven years that Daniel talks about where the Antichrist comes in and you have the wrath of God toward the end. The seven years before the millennial kingdom, if you will. Well, that teaching can lead, if taken inappropriately, or, or um, it, it can lead to complacency in people where, you know, hey, I've got to get out of tribulation free card so I don't have to do anything for the kingdom of God. I, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, so that, that's an inappropriate reaction to the teaching of pre-tribulation rapture. Um, the teaching of God's sovereign choice. That can lead to fatalism and apathy. Like God's going to do it anyway. Uh, why do I need to do anything? You know, I, I, I just sit back and, and God's going to do his thing. I don't need to be a part of it. I don't have to strive to follow what God says. And I think some may call that hyper-Calvinism, perhaps. But that's an inappropriate reaction to the doctrine of God's sovereign choice and what he communicates in the Bible. Um, Pharisee-like preaching um, what I mean by this, and, and it's the best categories, best way to describe it, I, I, in me, it may not be the best way, but that's what I was thinking of at the time. Basically meaning we're right and everybody else is wrong. And that leads to pride, which we have to always be on guard for. We need to be humble before the Lord. And then finally, um, freedom in Christ, which the Bible teaches. Um, however, it teaches a certain way, and I, and I encourage you to go back and listen to my episode on freedom in Christ. But... If you take it the wrong way and you react, react to it the wrong way, interpret it the wrong way, it can lead to licentiousness. No need for discernment. I can do anything. You know, all things are lawful. You know, antinomianism. You know, law it actually ends up in lawlessness where you are not um, following the law of God. You are you are sinning, if you will, because there's still sin. And again, I, I refer you to First John one nine, where he calls us to ask the Lord for forgiveness of our sins. And if in that section, if we say we have not sinned, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. So those were responses to certain, inappropriate responses to certain teachings. So to start wrapping this up, how then shall we live based on all of this and, and the world system being used to neutralize the church? First, we need to be discerning. We need to test everything against the word. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 help to describe that. So we need to know the truth in order to detect the lies, deceptions, and the falsehoods that are being thrown at us from the world system. We need to not love the world. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And we do not, we should not be conformed to this world. Romans 12, chap, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We should not tolerate falsehood in the church. For Satan is the father of lies. If there are lies in the church, that's the language of Satan. Those should be expunged from the church. John chapter 8, verse 44 is my reference there. We need to fully understand the sinfulness of sin. And I don't know if we ever really can truly understand the, the sinfulness of sin. But it's terrible. And we need to mortify it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30. We need to lay aside every sin, every hindrance, so we can run this race that's set before us by God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. We need to constantly wear and maintain the full armor of God. I encourage everybody to go look at Ephesians chapter 6 and really study that. We need to pray. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for our families, our brothers and sisters, 
our church leadership, our, our neighbors. We need to pray for forgiveness, but we need to pray. We need to repent. We need to repent of our adulteries with the world system. And he promises that, that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, once again. And then finally, how should we live? We need to be a living sacrifice to God. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. And we need to cleanse ourselves to be useful to our master. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. And here it is. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then finally, um, I want to share with you um, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, which, which is a letter to the church in Laodicea, because I think it's, it's descriptive of the church today. And here, Jesus instructs, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It sounds like it's been compromised by the world system. It's comfortable in the world system. And Jesus Christ is rebuking them. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich and white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you want to be a conqueror? Do you want to, do you want to sit with Jesus Christ on his throne? Well, then listen to what he says here. We need to, to be zealous and repent. We need to cleanse ourselves so that we can conquer with Christ rather than be neutralized by the world system. The good news. The good news in all this, Christ will build his church. Matthew chapter 16, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Christ is victorious. So ask ourselves, are we doing our part for the kingdom? 
Are we being obedient to our master? Are we running the race that he has set before us? Or have we allowed ourselves to be neutralized by Satan's world system?